my, my theme for this year, personally, is embrace the change. Because I realized for the last couple of years, I'm seeing things change, and I'm going, I don't want it to change. I don't want it to change. I don't want it to change. And now I realize I can't stop it. So now I want to find out what's God have in it. How is it I could just embrace it and be excited about what is happening? Well, I came across another one of those this weekend. I did not know. I was told this weekend that apparently there's been a change in the world of hunting. And that is, not only is it blaze orange, you have to have, you now can have your choice with blaze pink. Is this true? It is true. So we're embracing the change. So next year, you're going to either need to be in blaze orange or blaze pink in order to be able to get your free breakfast. How's that? Because we are all avant-garde. We're all au nouveau, okay? So we're going with it. So that's what it'll be like next year. But, you know, sometimes there are things that come across that, uh, that we're not sure what to do when things are there that nah, maybe it's a little different than we might have thought. Whatever. As we go out hunting every year, whether we think about it or not, we form teams. Do we not? We call them a hunting party. But every year they get reform, reformated, formatted, re reformed, I guess is what it is. And that's based upon many factors. Is it not just think about it? We don't give it much thought, but I'm asking you to think about it. First of all, there are those that we would just consider the regulars. Okay, and what we're questioning is each year is, hey, can you make it this year or not? Because in the course of hunting with people 10, 20, 30 years, most likely somewhere in there, some life circumstance is going to impact somebody. They won't be able to make it. So every year we got to recheck that. Can the regulars make it or not? There's the case that we have all felt probably at some point, the case of loss. We simply lost the people who we would have hunted with. If you've ever noticed, there's three names in the back of my pickup. They were all part of our hunting party, and they're not with us anymore. And uh, we're, we're very much aware that, okay, something has happened. There's the excitement of new growth. When kids are coming up, and they're going out, and they're hunting for the first time, and it's something new and, and a wonderful experience. And when they have some success at it, all the more exciting as Adam had to show me, hey, look at this. In a great picture, Dominic, of you with your deer. That was awesome, buddy. And we get excited by that. That's something changing as kids grow up into this. And then, of course, there's always the question of visitors. Maybe we have somebody coming part of our hunting party. They can only be here one year. That's it. They're just going to come. They're going to hunt with us. And we don't expect it to be long-term or anything like that. That happens. Somebody brings their friend. So we form these teams. We form these hunting parties. Well, if we've ever thought about it or not, we do the same thing, a similar thing, in the context of the church. Isn't that true? In another couple months, we're going to reform our board through a process of elections. We've got that that needs to be put together for its next, its next season. We reform committees. We will be hopefully again sending next year a ministry team to uh, Vienna. We'll reform that. There are always, we're always looking to add into Awana and getting workers for there because we never quite have enough to put that together. In years past, we have formed building committees that were very important 
in terms of leading us when we came to something like that. So this just happens without us giving it much thought. It's not anything new. In the context of the church, it's been happening, as we'll see, it's been happening since the beginning of the church. And in Acts chapter 15, which is not going to be up there on the board most likely, and I apologize for the kind of morning that we're having, and that's, uh, that's all right. Uh, Acts chapter 15, there's a few of these teams, these parties that are formed. But before we get to the first one that I want to make note of, I want to just look, and you can take a pew Bible in front of you, right? Hopefully there's something there that you have and you can share. Acts chapter 13, we're in the first missionary journey that has taken place within the church. And we read in verse 13, Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia. And then the last part of the verse says, And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. It's a rather innocuous statement sitting there. You read it, you just go, by. all right, somebody went another direction. It happens all the time in our hunting parties, doesn't it? We got, oh, somebody's got to go early, we, and they're not going to be able to stay for the full time. We don't give it much thought when we read it there until we get to Acts chapter 15. And in Acts chapter 15, we find out what Luke had in mind for us to know. And this is very common in Luke's book of Acts, how he introduces something and then later it comes back. Oh, that's what that was about. Luke, or, or Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 36, we read this. It, it, yeah, I think I got time to cover this. Okay, we read this. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing going to send out and go out on another journey, okay? Let us do this. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now we understand why we heard about that in chapter 13, verse 13. The fact that John Mark left them was going to create an issue a little bit further on. As what? As they're trying to form this team. This ministry team that's going to go back out for the second journey. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark, the one in question, and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This was one of those incidences where, you know, a, an unstoppable force had a, hit an uh, a immovable object, right? Neither of them, one was going to give in because one was determined to take Mark with them and one was determined not to take Mark with them. And what happens? Well, here's an answer now. What happens when that unstoppable force hits that immovable object. It must ricochet is all that I can guess because what they did, they went in two different directions. We're talking about headwinds, people here. That's, the, that's the, the, the overarching theme of things we're drawing out of the book of Acts, things that might slow down the progress of the gospel. What I found interesting in, in considering this is that in Acts chapter 15, this isn't the only place where you wind up with this difference of opinion as to how things ought to be handled. 
if we back up to the beginning part of the chapter of Acts chapter 15, we notice a couple of things. Certain men came down from Judea, and this is verse 1, and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with, uh, uh, no, uh, dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Oh, here's another perspective that's different. And so what do they do? They put a... Put a team together. They put together this little party of people to go and raise this question in Jerusalem. I dropped down to verse 4. When they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to commend them, uh, command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, now, those who are commanding that they keep the law of Moses here they're believers. We've just had them identified that they, that they are believers. They are, they are a part of what is going on here, but they're, everybody's trying to process this new thing. And that is that uh, the Gentiles are now being reached with the gospel. How do we embrace this change? What does that mean? Verse 6, the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. They formed a team. And when, they had, when there had been much dispute, once again, another point where there's real differences of opinion as they try and hash this thing out. Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And we just covered that recently when, when Peter was give, confronted with that image of the sheet coming down. And he was told to rise and eat. Recall that? And he said, not so, Lord, because I would never eat anything unclean. And God said, what I have cleansed, don't you call unclean. And it was later that he realized, oh, God is using him to open the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. And he needed to change his perspective on the Gentiles. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Trying to sort through this heavy question of what do you do with the Gentiles? Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, I love that. And after they had become silent, I just picture they got done talking and people just being left for a little bit of time to think. What is it that we are hearing here? James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Then he goes on and he quotes some prophetic scripture. I want to drop down to verse 15. Therefore, in light of what they've been told, what the prophecy had said, therefore, excuse me, I mean verse 19. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles... 
who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogue every Sabbath. So he throws this out as a possible solution. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch, putting together a team, putting together a party, if you will, with, with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, whose name was Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they give him instructions as far as what, they were to, what they're to say. Okay, so, verse 30, when they sent them off, they came to Antioch. When they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. Then they go on to say, hey, here's the letter, here's what has happened. Here's what we think ought to be happening about what you do with this question of circumcision as it relates to the Gentiles. And this is famously known in Acts chapter 15 as the Jerusalem Council. And if you get yourself at all familiar with Acts, you will, uh, if you do any reading about it, this will certainly come to the surface. Well, it is the fact that they now had sent Paul and Barnabas and this entourage back that eventually leaves them there in Antioch, and they're going to go out again. And that's what then takes us to this next thing that we've already touched on about, hey, let's go strengthen the churches. Now that we've solved the one problem, let's go strengthen the churches. There's a couple of things that happen repeatedly here in, these pas in this passage in Acts chapter 15. As I've said, they put together these different parties together. This group, they do this, this group, they send them here, they send them there. Well, that's happening repeatedly. But if you noted it three times, as they're trying to sort stuff out, three times we're told that, man, they had a lot of discussion about this. There was a lot of discourse, and people saw things in different ways. That just got me thinking about that reality that is before us. And particularly as we come to the question of, of John Mark, should he be a part of this second journey or not? What I find interesting is the conclusions people seem to have reached that I'm not sure are necessarily supported by, by Scripture. It seems to me Luke reports that John didn't go, and he doesn't tell us why. Doesn't tell us if his, he didn't go on with them to the work in 1330. Doesn't tell us whether or not it was a legitimate excuse or not. He just says he didn't go. Now later, here's the implication of it. Doesn't tell us again why, whatever that issue was. And so we could think of, if we chose, we could think of many reasons why Barnabas perhaps didn't go. And some of them might be very legitimate reasons. And we can think of other reasons. We say, well, that's not a good enough excuse. But we're not told. And so what we're told about is the dispute that resulted in Paul and Barnabas separating over this. As well as the dispute about what do you do with uh, Gentiles and do they need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. So... We have these, this back and forth going. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to just throw something big around it and just consider what might be the things at work. I think it's safe to say on a couple of the things. First of all, here are the things as we enter into these discussions, because we're going to embrace some change in the future, people. We are. We're, God's going God's to take us into some good places. 
All right? But as we do, here are some things we might want to be thinking about, about what we bring to the table and we try and sort out amidst our discussions. First of all, there's the imprint of previous belief, and we see that on those who are from Judea. They've spent their whole life being told the significance and necessity of the law, keeping the law, of circumcision. And yes, they embrace the fact that God has now revealed that uh, Yeshua Mashiach, that Jesus is the Messiah, wonderful, but they don't know what to do with the law and how that relates yet, so they're still holding on to this. It's been imprinted upon them as a necessity. We'll have things like that, things that just, you know, this is how I was raised. This is what I've known for all these years, right? One of the things that, that sometimes we say relative to that is, say, hey, man, I'm old school. This is just what was normal to me. And now you're asking me to just throw it all up and blow it all up. Well, that's going to take a little bit of time for me to come to understand why I should blow that up. Now, they, you can take that and put it in contrast to, as both Peter testifies, when God opened the door of the gospel to the Gentiles, and when Paul and Barnabas testified, in contrast to that is the excitement of the experience of seeing Gentiles come to faith, seeing the Holy Spirit poured out on them that it wasn't necessary for them to keep the law in that. Then when you get down, that was, that was the Jerusalem Council gig. Then when you get down to the question of now do we take uh, John Mark or not, on the one hand, you could point out you got the motivation of the task-oriented Paul. There's a job to be done and can't count on him anymore. Turns out later everything is fine between he and John, and John Mark as well as Barnabas. We're not going to develop that. But on the other side of that, you got Barnabas, and there's, I, I see a couple of things potentially with Barnabas. First of all, Barnabas is introduced to us in chapter 4 as son of encouragement. And Barnabas has a personal inclination to want to encourage and help people get through difficult times. So there's a possibility. Here's another thing. Barnabas has a personal connection. He's a cousin to John Mark. So how does family relate in the terms of the questions that we might have? So here we are, five things at play. And we could probably think of others that could be there that would all be supported by the text. And our question will be, when God embraced and tells us, hey, I want you to do some things. I want to I bring new movement. I want to bring fresh winds of change. I want to see something happen here that you perhaps haven't even thought of before. How are we going to embrace that? How are we going to interact with one another when we're like, man, we got different opinions on this. And I would just like to throw out one last scripture. We'll be done. I therefore, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I think can inform us in these days ahead. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And when we come to places where we need to uh, work through our differing opinions I think it's interesting that in telling us we need to look for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Paul writes first, lowliness, humility, let's not think too highly of ourselves as we move forward, but let's with cautious and gracious and kind hands address one another and the differences that we have. Some thought for our future, friends. And for that next time that God moves us in a significant way. Father, thank you for the joy of being here. Thank you for the hands that have prepared all the food. And uh, Lord, as some hunters go back now, we pray for safety for them as they head back out into the field. 
And mostly, Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, you have given us the capacity by your spirit to minister with one another as a singular team that we might, that we might go forward in the things you are calling us to. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.